Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Well, good morning. I am uh, I am thrilled to be here with you. It's a, it is my uh, it's my my privilege um, uh, to be here. Uh, so I was, you know, after being with you last summer and then then again last fall, I'm starting to feel like this is sort of a second home for me, and and so I, I appreciate that with with the full recognition that it might not be the same feeling for you. So, you know, we'll see. It's like that. Have you have you seen that? That insurance, I think, is maybe State Farm commercial, and they have like the two different stories where they have the same words. And it's like the the the, the father's giving his like 16-year-old daughter a, a a brand new car, and she is like, "Shut up!" And then and then they have the the guy that comes out to his car and it's been robbed, and there's no tires, and he is like, "Shut up!" <laughs> and then it's, she's like, "You have got to be kidding me!" And he is like, "You have got to be kidding me!" And this the whole storyline. So you know, I say, "Hey." here and you're like oh he's here uh you know so uh you know hopefully not that's the case but I'd understand if it was but I do know it you know it burdens Jeff to be gone uh from you guys today uh, you know he and I are good friends I consider him uh one of my best friends and and because of that right relationship that we have um he has shared with me you know some of the things that that, that you guys have been going through recently and I certainly don't know all the details, but I want you to know that I've been praying for you. I've been, I've been praying for this church. I've been praying for your pastor and, and all you guys. And, and I hope to be an encouragement to you this morning in the word as I bring it in, in Jeff's stead. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to just take the first two verses of this chapter as our primary text. And Hebrews is a very uh, interesting New Testament epistle from, from a doctrinal perspective. It's, it's an important one to understand as it, as it, along with Matthew and Acts, make up the primary transition books uh, in the New Testament. And, and in those transition books, there are some key doctrinal and dispensational shifts going on. And that's part of the reason why God tells all of us to be able to rightly divide the word of truth in 2 Timothy 2.15. There are divisions. Uh, but in the book of Hebrews, Paul is, is writing to a group of first century Jewish Christians who are wavering in their faith. And they had been saved by grace through faith alone, but they were falling back into some of their Jewish tradition and Jewish law. And they were getting their eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes to them to tell them that Christ is better, that the new covenant is better. So in the same way that Romans, the book of Romans, leads the church age epistles in showing the necessity of faith in Christ alone, Hebrews leads the Hebrew Christian epistles in showing the superiority of faith in Christ alone. And I'd take the time to explain that to you because for us, the book of Hebrews should be a great reminder that God's way is the right way. It is the better way. And it should show us the importance of holding on to faith so that Christ can work in our lives. Especially during those times of wavering, those times of confusion, those times of trial, tribulation, and temptation. And that's what these Hebrew, Hebrew Christians were facing. It, it was a time of trial, it was a time of persecution. And that led to confusion amongst themselves and within their faith. And so Paul writes to them to encourage them to stay the course, 
And he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, For foreseeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, we thank you for the time we have together this morning, the worship that we have, and, and just uh, we want to acknowledge to you now, God, that, that you are the right way. And Lord, I pray that you just show us that this morning, and I pray that, that, that your Holy Spirit does the work that only he can do, and he has free reign in this room, in our lives this morning, to convince and convict and just uh, work in our hearts where we need it. Lord, we love you. Pray that everything that is said and done today is glorifying to you and it is true to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you can see here in Hebrews chapter 1, Paul compares our life to a race. And this isn't the first time that Paul has, has used this analogy. We also see at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, Paul says, uh, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So we see this race comparison again. And then other times Paul talks about the course of his life. You can see that in Acts chapter 20. You can see it at the end of 2 Timothy in chapter 4 when he, when he says he finished his course. And he uses those analogies because that is exactly how he viewed his life. He saw it having a, a definite beginning and a definite end. And he saw it with a goal in sight to finish well. And according to 1 Corinthians 9, to receive crowns to the glory of God. And he saw it as an exercise, like a race is, that included strategy and mission along the way. And listen, since Paul viewed his life that way, it's probably a pretty good idea if we viewed our life the same way. This life is a race, and we have been placed on a definite course, and it should be our goal, and it is our responsibility, responsibility to finish it. And to finish it to the glory of God, making it an exercise of faith, following his path, his course, for our life all along the way. And that all sounds fine until the trial hits. Until the confusion sets in. So the danger of this exercise of life is to be able to keep running, even during those times when you are weighed down by the travails of life. But listen, those travails, while they can kill us spiritually if we let them, they can also make us stronger for the rest of the race if we will just approach them biblically. And that's what Solomon was talking about in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 10, when he wraps up that popular passage talking about how there's a, a season and time for everything. Right? You know the, the 60s song by the birds? For every season, turn, turn. You, you know, I mean, you weren't in church all your life. I know that. Listen, 
That, that song was out well before I was born, and I know it. So I know, I know you know it. But Solomon says there's a time and a place for everything in our life, in our race. And then in verse 10, he says, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men, what? To be exercised in it. Solomon said our life will have times of travail, even sometime by God's design. But their purpose is our exercise. And we need to get stronger, get in better shape for what the rest of the race has in store for us. So keep running. Don't get distracted. Don't get tempted. Don't look back and get tripped up. Don't quit. Don't lose your way. Run your race. And run it until the course is finished. And this is exactly the encouragement and the challenge that Paul was giving those Hebrews, Hebrew Christians in, in those first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12. And they apply to us as well. And out of these two verses come four instructions, four exhortations that, that I just want to pull out of the text for you on how to run your race so that you don't fall. And the first couple of these are very, very straightforward. They're very simple. But then the last two I, I want to dive into just, just a little bit, little bit deeper. But with, with that in mind, the first exhortation that we see Paul outline for us is that you need to run with family. You need to run with family. When it comes to running your race, the course that God has for you, we need to know that it is important to run with family. Paul starts out Hebrews 12, 1 by saying, Wherefore, seeing we are also, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And of course, he's hearkening back to chapter 11, you know, commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith. And he's saying, listen, guys, I know you're going through some hard times. And there is confusion out there. And you might feel alone and you might feel torn. But you're not. You're not alone. There are those that have gone before you and they have faced hardship too. And they fought a good fight. And they kept the faith. They finished their course. They didn't get caught up and tripped up. And it was sort of like God reminding Elijah, you remember in 1 Kings, that even though he felt like he was the only one serving God, that God had to remind them that, that there were 7,000 in Israel that hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. That's kind of what Paul's doing here. And look at how Paul explains it at the end of chapter 11, starting at verse 36. After going through the long list of those that, who by faith ran their race, Paul says, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain of the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, and this next phrase is just awesome, of whom the world is not, was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And then he says in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Paul says, draw encouragement from them, from others in the family of God. And obviously he was talking about those who had gone before. He was talking about all those Old Testament saints. But this same principle applies to those who are still around you now. Run with family. 
Run with those that you know have faith and that you know are acting according to faith. You know, Paul never said to run with, you know, Phygelus and Demas and, and some of those guys. But run with those you can trust. You see, it's easy to get tripped up when you are alone or at least when you feel alone. It's easy to get lost on the course. And it's also easy to get lazy on the course when you're running alone. So don't run alone. And this principle goes back to the beginning of man. The the first thing in creation that God said was not good was the fact that man was alone. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. We're not meant to go through the Christian life by ourselves, only with ourselves, making decisions by ourselves. I mean, we know these verses, Proverbs eleven fourteen, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs twelve fifteen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. You see, those others of the faith all around you, God wants you to use them. He wants you to listen to them. And our problem comes when we stop listening to the wise counselors around us that God has placed in our lives. We begin listening to the lies of the devil. And you'll know that it is a lie of the devil when he wants to get you alone. When he wants to get you away from the safety net of the church and other believers who are wise in the word, who live according to faith. Listen, our problem is when we give our ear to those who aren't even running the race. And they've fallen off course. They've tripped up somewhere along the way. But now they're running on the sidelines, trying to pull you off the course too. Don't let them do that. Run with family. Run with your tribe. I say that because I'm kind of close to Cleveland. (laughs) Even though they're in the same division as the Royals. That's for you, Kale, because I'm in Ohio. But the point is, take encouragement from those that you know have done it before you. And take encouragement and counsel from those you know are doing it now. Those that you know and trust are acting in faith. So run your race with your family. Then second, you need to run your race with freedom. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And the point that Paul is making here is there There are times in our lives when we can't properly run the race that is set before us because we're too weighed down by the baggage and the sin that we are carrying. And this is an astute church. You know the Bible and you have good Bible teaching, so I don't even have to take the time to go to places like Romans 6 that show you how we have been freed from sin. We all know this, but sometimes we don't live this. And we end up carrying around this burden That's what the word weight means. And the the burden keeps us from moving forward in faith. And again, in the context of a race, we're too heavy to move forward. It becomes too much to bear. It causes us to stumble. And Paul says here, you don't have to do that. You don't have to let the weight of your burdens keep you from running your race. But what you do have to do is lay them aside. And lay aside literally means to put off kind of like how we have been commanded to put off the old man. That old nature of sin that wants to keep us down and get us 
off course, Ephesians 4, 22 and 24 says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we put off the old man, we put on Christ, we put on the new man, and as part of that process, what happens is you get to switch burdens with the Lord. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he reminds us, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Your burdens, your sin, is part of the old man. So leave them with the old man. Lay them aside. Don't bring that stuff with you on your race. Trade burdens with Jesus. Because his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And when you do that, what happens is you trade a temporal weight of sin for an eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more an eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, the weight that we carry on our race is temporal. The weight of this world, the weight of our lives and our sin and the baggage that we bring with us, it's temporal. It wants you to focus on the now. It wants you to focus on the pain. It wants you to focus on the injustice. But when you focus on the now, it becomes sin. Listen, what you want is an eternal weight. Because when you put off the old man, when you run your race with that freedom, it doesn't even mean things will be easy. It just means your perspective will be biblical. And you'll be able to see that the light affliction you face is just for now. It's just a moment. We get caught up in the weight and the heaviness and the burden of stuff that is just for a moment. James calls this life a vapor. Man, eternal life is, is the real life. And we get caught up and focused on the temporal life. It's just a moment. It's a moment. But if you keep running the race during those moments, during the affliction, there is an eternal reward that will come out of that eternal weight of glory. Man, let, let's run that race for his glory in the power of the Spirit. And you don't have to get weighed down by your affliction. Give that to God. Run with freedom that you have in Christ. But now I want to balance this out just a little bit. And this is where I want to take things to, to maybe a slightly different level. I mean, those, those things were pretty straightforward. Because we should absolutely run with freedom. We have been made free. 
We're no longer slaves to sin. So run your race with freedom. But third, you also need to run your race with fear. And when I say fear, I don't mean fear of others. I, I don't mean fear of, of falling or fear of failing. I mean run in the fear of the Lord. At the end of Hebrews 12:1, Paul says, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we are to run this life, the course that God has us on, with patience. And patience means not being quick to quit when, when the going gets tough, not quick to fall to the temptation of the devil. You, you just endure and wait on the Lord. Why? Because you fear him. You, you reverence him in a biblical way. You reverence him and you want to do right by him no matter what. So you lay aside your own fleshly desires and thoughts, and you wait. And you wait to see what God is going to do. And you wait until the dust settles. You don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. You don't move off course until you know for sure that God has changed the course. And again, you do it because you fear the Lord in a way that is biblical and right. And Paul makes this connection for us in his first epistle, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. He says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Why? Why should we do this? For, verse 19, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently but if when you do well and suffer for it ye take it patiently this is acceptable with God you see part of fearing God is being patient through suffering and listen he finds that acceptable he honors that as you honor him the king so when you run your race of life, run it fearfully. And listen, what, what I'm about to say next is important. I mean, I, I hope everything is important. But this next statement is really important. So you, you ready? Everybody listening? All right. This aspect of patience in the fear of the Lord is the biggest factor in whether you will finish your course or not. It is the biggest factor. And I say that because when it comes to dealing with tribulation, the Bible lays out two different paths. And, and we're going to take one of them. We're going to take one path or the other. One path leads to life. The other path leads to death. And this is so important to understand because we are living in the last days. And it is a deceitful time. And it's very difficult sometimes to even determine and differentiate the profane from the holy. And there are pastors and teachers and churches all across this country right now that are saying things to the untrained ear, may even sound holy. But let me tell you, to God they are profane. So in those times of confusion and wavering, when it comes to determining what direction to take, patience is the key. So let me show you. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I don't think we have these verses up there. I want you to turn with me. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 5. 
And you guys have seen these verses before, I'm sure. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 3. The Bible says, and, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Okay, so this is the path to life. It is the path to hope. And it all starts with patience. We need to allow our tribulations to work for glory, and that comes when you exercise patience. So you have enough faith in God to keep running, even when it doesn't seem like it's worth it. And you not have enough faith in God to not take matters into your own hands, and I'll, I'll show you what that leads to in a minute. But you endure, you forbear, and you seek God. Because patience leads to experience. And I have to admit, when I saw this, I didn't fully understand what God was saying, because as a good fundamental Bible-believing Christian, experience is one of those words that freaks me out just a little bit. I mean, I understand it. You know, it works for the world. I mean, I have experience at my job, so that means I'm pretty good at it. The more I do it, the better I get. You know, but in, in, in spirituality, experience isn't always good. And having an experience really isn't always good. Feels a bit charismatic. I don't like that. So I didn't fully get it. But man, this is a cool pattern here. Patience, experience, hope. So God wants your patience and tribulation to lead to experience. Okay, but how? How does that work? Well, if you keep reading in the book of Romans, I think you find the answer. And, and flip over real quick to Romans 15. Because I think in Romans 15, 4, you see the answer. Romans 15, 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Okay, so wait a second. This is sort of like Hebrews 12, 1, because we're instructed to take encouragement from the Old Testament, those Old Testament saints. Whatsoever things were written aforetime, we're written for our learning, for our encouragement, for our edification. So run with patience. But not just that, because when we run our race with patience, we find a strikingly similar pattern to Romans 5. It starts with patience. It ends with hope. But there's something different in the middle. And so God said, Troy, you don't, you don't have to be scared of experience. You've been having experiences all throughout your life. And those experiences are found when you gain the comfort of the scriptures. That's what's in the middle. And they encourage you to keep going. And so what this means is that as you are running your race and you hit a bump, maybe you come to a hurdle and you didn't even know this was a hurdle track. You had sign, signed up for the mile and that's the mile hurdle. Like, what happened? Your move is to be patient and seek God through his word. And it's just that simple. And when you seek God through his word, sincerely and patiently and fearfully, you have a promise that you will find comfort. And that comfort does lead to experience because when you hit the next hurdle, you can look back and say, I trusted God in that last thing. I can trust him in this. 
He didn't fail me before. Why would he fail me now? And out of that comes hope. For hope for a better tomorrow. Hope for an eternal weight of glory. Hope to be able to say like, like Paul, I have finished my course. A hope based on the fact that one day soon you will see him face to face. That is real life. That is the hope that we have to cling to, especially in times of struggle. So listen, any hope that is not based on your patience and God's comfort through his word is a lie. And lies lead to death. Because you see, there's also another path that we can choose. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Did we, did we put James 1 up there? Okay, yeah. So James 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So if Romans 5 is the path to life, James 1 is the path to death. And James says, hey, good on you if you endure temptation. And you, right? And then you know what endure means? It means be patient. Blessed is that man. But if you're not patient, that temptation will lead you to being tempted. And I wish we had time to get, drive into all the, the differences between tribulation and, and temptation and where they lead, but we don't. But, but that temptation will lead you to being tempted and drawn away. 2 Peter 3.17 talks of the same issue. Peter says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away, drawn away, with the error of the wicked, Fall from your own steadfastness. And your own steadfastness is running your race with patience. Don't be led away from that. Don't be drawn away by your own lust because that leads to death. You see, instead of patience, experience, hope, we have lust, sin, death. And what a contrast. And the key, the key is the correlation and the choice between the first word in each list. Patience or lust. And we don't usually think of those two words being opposite of each other. But in this context, they absolutely are. Because just like our last point, lust is about the temporal. And patience is about the eternal. Patience is about hope. It leads to hope. And it's about the hope of seeing your Savior face to face. So you know what? You don't want to mess that up. You want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ blameless before him. But lust is about now. It is about your will. It is about your desires. It is about you. And if you let that lust take root, it will bring forth sin. And sin always, 100% of the time, leads to death. Romans 6, 23, and a slew of other verses. And you might be saved, and if you are saved, you will end up in heaven, but you will not finish your course. And the life that God has for you will die. 
And you will not stand at the judgment seat of Christ blameless. And decision to make is yours. Lust or patience. Now or eternity. You or him. And listen, as you study the word, this is a pattern you will see all throughout Scripture. Let me just give you a, a couple of exam, examples. We'll do the path to death first. Um, look at Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, it says, And they, the Israelites, journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. There's lust. They were discouraged because they didn't like God's way. And what did it lead to? And the people spank against God and against Moses. It led to sin. Wherefore ye have brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. And sin leads to death. But the path to life, I'll just give you an example. We won't even turn there, but think about Jesus. When he, when he had fa- at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he had fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. He was led up, the Bible says he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Right? You remember that story? You can find that in Matthew 4, Luke 4, um, Mark 1, but it's just, you know, one verse, one phrase and one verse in Mark 1. But, so I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about what Jesus did. The devil tempted him with food. He, he was just in the, still not at the end of a fast. He tempted him with exaltation. He tempted him with kingship. But what did Jesus show? He showed patience. And do you know why he showed patience? Because it wasn't the right time. To every season. Turn, turn, turn. The stuff that the devil tempted him with was all for the future. And so he didn't need the temporal because he was focused on the eternal. When it all will be worth it. And then how did he show his patience? Through experience. As he quoted scripture. And it, it, it is written. It is written. It is written. Scripture that I'm sure had been used by him to comfort him in his life so he had hid it in his heart and he relied on that experience and when it was over in matthew 4 11 the bible says that the devil left and the angels came and ministered to him that is hope and by the way in luke's account it says the devil departed from jesus and jesus returned in the power of the spirit and we don't even have time to get into the connection between hope and power and resurrection but it's there if you want to study it out. See, this pattern is everywhere. And if you, if you want another assignment, study the two male factors that were with Jesus on the, on the other crosses in Luke 23. One chose a path of life, one chose a path of death. One chose patience, one chose lust. You know why he chose patience? Because he was looking for eternity. And one is alive with hope today, and the other's not. So this decision-making process for us is so important as we run our race for the Lord because you are going to face hurdles. We know that. We have have this promise from Scripture. 
we're going to face trials, we're going to face struggles, we're going to face hurdles in, in life. And our move is patience. That's the move we have to make. God really makes it simple for us. He didn't give us a, a whole bunch of options. He's like, okay, here's what you do. You choose patience. We just have to do it. And I'm telling you, this is something that none of us want to get wrong. Because the stakes are too high. That's why you run your race with fear. Fearing the Lord, making decisions based on Him and not you. And that leads to our last exhortation, which is, which is really tied to the one we just talked about. So in conjunction with running your race with fear, you also need to run your race with focus. Because Hebrews 12.2 tells us how we are to run our race with patience. We are to run looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we run our race, we need to be constantly focused on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And looking unto him is how the Christian life began. Through the prophet Isaiah, God tells us this in Isaiah 45, 22. He said, look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And if you know, if you know anything about Charles Spurgeon, if you know like, his history, you know, this is the verse, this is his testimony. That this is the verse when he, that was used when he got saved. And he was, it was a snowy night, and he was walking to the church he had been attending, and he, he couldn't even get there. And so he goes to another church. The regular pastor couldn't even make it that night because of the storm. And so he goes in. One of the laymen just got up to preach, and, and according to, to the, the writing, Spurgeon would say, he just, he didn't really preach. He just kind of read Isaiah 45, 22 over and over again. And he said he was just sitting towards the back and sitting on the back pew, and he said he caught eyes with, with that, the guy that was, was speaking. And he, and he said that the, the guy that was preaching that day just pointed to him and said, and, and I read this verse again one more time, and said, Son, if you look to Jesus, he'll save you. And Spurgeon's testimony is, I looked. It's how our Christian life began. It's how it began. It's also how the Christian life will end. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we, sh what we shall be. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. No one in here has seen the literal face of Jesus, and we won't while we're on this earth, but, but there will come a day, not on this earth, that we will see him, but when we're with him we will see him and we will literally be looking unto him and at him and and oh what a day that will be so the christian life begins and ends looking unto jesus it's just the in-between that bothers me it's while you're running your race and it's when you hit the hurdle and the struggle the confusion of it seems like what what the route seems to be changing. What route do I take? Are you looking at him then? Because I'm telling you, if you're going to be successful, we have to run our race with focus. 
looking unto Jesus, keeping our eyes of faith focused on him through his word. That's how, that's how we see him. That's how we look, at, look unto him. But listen, unfortunately, it is so easy to get distracted. That's my problem. That's your problem. We know we are to look to him, but we have wandering eyes at times. And when it comes to the distractions you face while running your race, I, I think they can be broken down into three primary ways. And uh, this certainly is not an exhaustive list, but I think these are the three k- kind of big ones. And you see these distract- distractions all throughout Scripture as well. But I want to show them to you through three different events in the life of Peter. And, and, and I'll do this quickly. And, you know, all throughout the Gospels, you know, you know, Peter, he was just quite the piece of work. I mean, he got it figured out, and those epistles are awesome. But, man, through the Gospels, that, that dude was, he, he, he was a piece of work. And he really did teach, he messed things up at times. And I don't criticize him for that. In fact, I take great encouragement from it. Um, but, hey, at least he was trying. Because, you know, Warren Wearsby said, the only people who don't make mistakes don't make anything. And there's a lot of truth in that. But there are three events in the life of Peter that, that illustrate for us the three distractions that, that will get our eyes off of Jesus Christ. And, and this is important because whenever we get our eyes off of Jesus, things in our life aren't what they ought to be. Our home isn't what it ought to be. Our, our heart isn't what it ought to be. Our hands, our actions aren't what they ought to be. Our head, our thinking isn't what it ought to be. And like everything else we've talked about this morning, this puts us at risk for running off course for quitting or falling or getting lost. And we just don't want that to happen. So the first distraction you have to be on the lookout for is yourself. It's you. I don't think I put this in the PowerPoint. Sorry, you'll have to take notes if you want this. Um, It's you. In in Luke 5, we have the account of of Jesus calling Peter and James and John to follow him. And, And this was a time, so Jesus, he's starting to gather some fame. And he comes up to Peter, who had been fishing, and and he was now on the shore washing his nets and mending his nets and and getting everything, you know, put back together. And he says to Peter, hey, can can you take me out on the lake a little bit? Because there's all these people gathering around, and and I want to speak to them, but, you know, we can use your boat as the platform. And and so so Peter obliges and takes him out. And And when he was done speaking, Jesus tells Peter, hey, you should cast out your net here. And Peter said, well... I mean, okay. I mean, I've been fishing all night, and we didn't take anything, but okay, I'll do it. And we did. The Bible says they caught so many fish that his net broke, and they, that's when they called James and John over to, to, to come help, and there so many fish. They filled up both boats. Both boats began to sink. And as cool as that is, the inter- interesting part of this story, at least for me, is Peter's resp- response. And you can see it in Luke 5, 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And this is interesting because, I mean, in one way, you know, this is is a noble prayer. You and I have certainly felt this way many times before and maybe even prayed a similar type of prayer. Listen, this this is not the prayer God ever wants to hear from us. He never wants to depart from us. It's quite the opposite. So in that sense, it was, it was a foolish prayer. And he prayed that prayer because, according to verse 9, he was astonished. Peter didn't know what to say. And one theme of Peter throughout the Gospels is when he didn't know what to say, he always said something. <laughs> and some of us can relate to that. 
But just think if God had answered that prayer, it would have been the end for Peter. He never would have even got started on his race. And Peter prayed this prayer because he was looking at himself and not Jesus. And Christian, listen to me. We should never look to ourselves. Because when we do, one of two sins is bound to occur. One, we will like what we see so much that we become proud. Or two, like Peter, we will become so discouraged with what we see, we will want to quit. But either way, if you are looking at yourself, you will get in trouble. And I'm not saying that you don't recognize that you are a sinner. Of of course, you have to recognize that to be saved. We need to acknowledge that to, to maintain our fellowship with God all along the way. I mean, Paul called himself the chief of all sinners. But he also said he was forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. The key is acknowledging sin to the point of cleansing yourself, according to 2 Corinthians 7.1, but staying focused on Jesus. If your focus is your sin, that, that could be out of balance. If your focus is on your righteousness, your own righteousness, that's clearly out of balance. The focus has to be on Jesus and his righteousness. And then the second distraction is your circumstances. In Matthew 14, you might remember the story of, of when the disciples were out to sea, and there, you know, there had been a lot to lead up to this, but they, they were out to sea, and, and they see someone walking on the water. You know, probably not an everyday occurrence. So they ask, you know, who is it? I, I, mean, I don't know what you'd ask. I guess that's a natural question. And the response they got was it was the Lord. And so Peter said, Lord, if it's you, let me walk on the water too. Bid me to come. And so Jesus said, come, come on. Matthew 14, verses 29 through 31, and, and he, Jesus, said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? So Peter was going along, doing something that we could only dream about, but he got distracted. He got caught up in the wind. And do you see what it says there in verse 30? When he saw the wind boisterous. Now the interesting thing about that is you can't actually see wind. You can only see the effects of wind. You can see the leaves blowing or the waves rising. You can feel it. You can hear it. You just can't see it. And the effects of the wind made Peter stop looking at Jesus and start looking at everything else. All the bad stuff that was going on around him. All the stuff he was feeling. And that's what we do all the time. We let the circumstances of our lives and the effects of all that we're dealing with get us distracted. And listen, if we do that and lose our focus, we'll never finish the race that God has for us. And I want you to know you don't have to ignore the circumstances. Sometimes you cannot ignore them. And God doesn't even necessarily ask you to ignore them. 
But the key to victory is this. Don't look at Jesus through your circumstances. Look at your circumstances through Jesus. And, and what I mean by that is don't put, if, if, if you are here and Jesus is here, don't put your circumstance between you. Don't look at Jesus through your circumstances. Put Jesus between you and your circumstances. So when you're looking at your circumstances, you're looking through the eyes of Jesus. You see, when Peter saw the wind, he should have thought, yeah, these winds are crazy. But there's Jesus. I'm going to see him first. He's still there. And I know that there are people in this room right now, and you are being whipped by the circumstances of your life. And you get up each morning, and it doesn't even feel like your coffee has kicked in. And boom, there is the wind. And I just want you to know that Jesus knows. And he's there. And you just need to look at your circumstances through him. Stay focused on him. And he's not, I mean, we know there's no temptation taking us, taking us that is common to man, and he's made a way of escape. He's not going to give us, we we hear this, we say this all the time, he's not going to give us more that we can bear. And there is a progression in the Christian life. I mean, there's even a progression, you know, and, uh, and this is not even in here, but the, so there's the interesting progression that you see in Scripture with, the, there, were, there were three major times that Jesus dealt with his disciples, two of them specifically with Peter, when he was on the sea, which is, the sea is a great picture in the Bible, and, and the waves of the sea, you know, picture the, the, our life and the, the waves that we have, and there's a journey, right? And you can see that in the book of Jonah, you can see this a few different places, that the sea is a journey, and again, it's kind of our life, and there's three different times, so we just looked at two of them. The first time was Luke 5 account, the second time, Matthew, or the third time actually, Matthew 14, the second time was, you can see it in Mark 4, Matthew 8, where uh, Jesus was asleep on the ship and the storm, you remember that account? Well, so, so look at the progression there. The first time Jesus was in the boat, there was no storm. The second time Jesus was in the boat, but there was a storm. The third time Jesus wasn't in the boat. And there was a storm. There's a progression that God will take you through. And those storms might get harder and bigger, and and, and Jesus may seem further and further away, but he's not. He's not going to leave you on your own. He's there for you. You just have to stay focused on him. And then lastly, the third distraction. So we have ourselves. We have circumstances. And then the third one is just others. They may be other runners, or they may be spectators, but if your focus is wrong... They can be a distraction. And, and obviously, as we started this message, the right people can and should be a great encouragement and counsel to us. And we should run with them. But at the point that anyone, other than Jesus, becomes your focus, you've gone too far. And Peter experienced this in John chapter 21. This is after the resurrection, right before the ascension. And Jesus is making himself known, right? He's, he's, he's making himself known to, to, the, to the 500, to his disciples first, and this is part of that process. And he has that famous conversation with Peter when he asks him three times, lovest thou me more than these? And, and he asks him that three times because Peter had denied him three times. And Peter answers yes to each question before Jesus gives him the same command that he did in Luke 5. Follow me. 
And, and through that process, Peter's restored. I mean, because if you study that out, Peter, I mean, Peter, I mean, Peter's off the wagon, man, at that point. And, and, uh, but he's restored. But the distraction came in verse 20. And then Peter turning about, after Jesus said, uh, follow me. And then Peter turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. Seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at, at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee. Peter seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? You see, you can be distracted by yourself. You can be distracted by your circumstances, but in some ways, the worst distraction of all is other Christians. I think the chief sport of many believers is people watching. And that's what Peter did here. And he's like, yeah, okay, so... And, and it's also, you know, Jesus, Jesus said, follow me, but then he also told them of what death he will die. I'm like, oh, what about John? Because uh, I, don't, I don't really know if I like that. And, and obviously Jesus didn't let him get away with it. In, in verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, if, he, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And Jesus said, Peter, don't get your focus off me. Don't worry about what I have for John. But listen, we look at and we watch and we see what other Christians are doing, both good and bad. And we sit and we listen and we ponder all the while getting our eyes off of Jesus and distracted from running the race that he has given us to run. I'm telling you, don't fall for that trap. Listen, God never called us to endorse or defend or explain or even fully understand what other people do. What is that to thee? A guy came to D.L. Moody one day and said, Mr. Moody, I don't, I don't like your methods. He was talking about church and He's like, you know, I don't really like your methods. I don't like the way you're doing things. And Moody said, well, I don't much like them either. What are your methods? And the guy said, I don't have any. So Moody said, well, I'll stick to mine. What is that to thee? Just do what you know God is calling you to do. And I'm telling you now, if you have become an expert on the life of some other Christian, watch out. You are bound to fall. And again, this doesn't mean we can't help each other. Of, of course we can and we should. Again, it has to be done with Jesus as the focus and looking at them through Jesus. So I know we're almost out of time, but I want to encourage you this morning to run your race and run it well. There's too much to be done. The time is too short to mess it up now. Run your race. Run it well. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And if like Isaiah 45, 22 says, if you've never looked to him and you're not saved, and you should look to him today. You should, you should be able to leave today and say like Spurgeon did that day, I looked. Because if you look, you will find. He will not hide himself from you. He loves you. He knows the trials. He knows the struggles. He's just asking you to choose patience over lust. He's asking you to choose him over yourself. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We thank you.